And so as we start our conversation today, I need you to do something for me. I need you to travel back in time to when you lived at home. And I need you to think about all the house rules that your parents had given you, for better or worse, right? We all had rules to follow. Now, if you're pretty young right now, if, in your, if you're in your teen years or younger, you're thinking, yeah, I know the house rules really well, right? I experienced them this morning. I experienced them last night. I'm gonna experience them every day this week. I have to do what my parents tell me to do because I'm living under their roof. Now, for some of us, we're a little bit removed from those years, those teen years, those younger age years. And so we have to think back a little ways, put ourselves back into those high school time frame when we had the rules because we lived under our parents' roof at the time. Now, for some of us, we're a little more seasoned, right? In fact, we're so far removed from living under our parents' roof that's easier for us to remember the rules we gave our kids versus the rules that our parents had given us. But if we travel back in time or if we remember our house rules, this is what you would tell me if we had a conversation. There were some rules that you didn't mind and there were some rules that you hated, right? We all had those. There were some rules we didn't mind and there were some rules that we hated. The ones we didn't mind, well, they were the ones that we kind of expected, the kind of normal rules. Everyone had the rules. All of our friends had the same rules. But then there were the other ones, maybe a little more unique. We didn't like those rules, right? None of our friends had those rules. And if we had to poke at it long enough, we'd kind of come to the conclusion that the reason we didn't like those rules, I would say for the most part, is because they didn't make any sense to us. Maybe for you, it was the fact that you were 15 years old, but yet you couldn't watch a PG-13 movie, right? It didn't make sense to you. It always bothered you. You hated that rule. Or maybe for you, it was the fact that you couldn't have friends over on a school night. Even if all your homework was done, even if all their homework was done, that was the rule. It was a very rigid rule, and it never made sense to you. Maybe it's the fact that there were certain words in your family that you couldn't say, even though all your friends could say it. And when you were out at the farm, you know your dad said them all the time. But when you were at home, you could not say those words. And it bothered you because it didn't make sense, right? There was no purpose to it. You could not understand why your parents would give you those rules because there seemed to be just, just rules from high, right? No purpose whatsoever. Now, if I traveled back in time, I had a rule like this. I'm sure we all had a rule like this that I hated, I despised. And it was surrounding this idea of curfew, which is like bedtime for high schoolers, right? I had a curfew and it was, it was much, much more strict than my friends. My curfew was 10 o'clock, on the weekends, on the nose. There was no violating this rule. This was the rule. 10 o'clock was the curfew, and it always bothered me. And it bothered me because all my friends had a later curfew, right? There's like midnight. Some of my friends, the parents would say, we trust you, we love you, be wise, be smart, don't get in trouble, let us know where you are, and then come back whenever, right? They had all sorts of different rules, but mine was 10 o'clock and it always bothered me because it never made sense, and I always pushed back against it. I needed all sorts of things to extend my curfew. I would call my parents, actually I'd have my friends call my parents about 9.50 and say, hey, Ben's with us. My parents are here. This is what we're doing. We're behaving. We're having a great time. Could he stay till 10.30, 11, 11.30, or midnight, right? We're all staying till midnight. Could he stay till midnight? But very, very rarely would my parents be flexible in this regard. 
right? Very, very rarely could I stay. I always had to go back and be at home at my curfew or I was in big, big trouble. I always hated this rule. And I believe this is one of the reasons why when I turned 18 and it was time for college, I was so excited because guess what? No more curfew, right? No more rule that never made sense to me and now I had freedom. For some of us, when we encounter the Christian faith, this has kind of been our interaction with the Christian faith and God's rules. Right? In fact, maybe this is the reason that you stopped believing in God a long time ago or you are about to just walk away from the faith. Or maybe this is why you weren't in the faith to begin with, right? You stopped going to church, but now you're kind of leaning back in and you still have some of those concerns. Because you think of all the rules that your pastor talked about, all the rules that you've read in scripture, and you've never understood the point, and because you did not understand the point, because they didn't make sense, because they actually violated some of the, the inner beliefs that you had, you walked away, you started walking away, or you're finally coming back. Well, today what we're going to see as we continue this sermon series called House Rules, where we keep asking ourselves the same question time in and time out, why does God have these rules? We're going to see once again that God's rules are not meant to control us, but actually to give us life. Specifically today, we're going to see how God's house rules are meant to breathe life not in, only into our existence, but to those around us. And to do this, we're going to look into the Gospel of Matthew. This is what it says. He left that place and entered their synagogue. So as Matthew recounts this, this point in time, he kind of sets up this idea that something important has happened already, and indeed it has. You see, as we're stepping into this piece of history, it is the Sabbath day. And if as good Jews would do, Jesus and his disciples were going to the synagogue, right? If you were a good Jew on the Sabbath, you'd make your way to the synagogue to worship God, to learn about God, to connect with one another, to grow in that relationship. That's what they did. It's very similar to a Christian carving out time on Sunday to go to church, right? To listen to the sermon, to take communion, to see one another, to sing praises, all this stuff. This is, this is what they did. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're making their way to the synagogue. And as they're walking along, they're walking through this field, this grain field, and the disciples, they're kind of hungry. And so a couple of them, they snag a little bit of the grain, they pop it in their mouth, and they move on. They don't really think much about it. Because on any other day, this really wouldn't be a big storyline. It really wouldn't be noteworthy at all. Except for the Pharisees were watching. Now, in this day, just so we have a taste of, of how people viewed the Pharisees, the Pharisees were great teachers, right? People really respected them, they respected teachers, and they followed the law precisely. They were very black and white about the law. And so people had this high level of respect for them. But they had one serious fatal flaw. It was how they saw the purpose of the law. You see, if you asked a Pharisee, what is the purpose of the law? Their response would be this. The purpose of the law is for comparison. And they would be fairly accurate at least in our understanding. Because the point of the law, at least one of the points of the law, is to point us to God and his perfection. And it reminds us time and time and time again that we fall short. And because we fall short, we need a savior. We need Jesus. 
But this is not how they saw it. You see, they would say it was about comparison, but how they viewed it was it was meant to compare them to others. In other words, if they're bad, I'm good. If they behave this way and I don't behave this way, that makes me good, and and they are bad. That was how they viewed it. It was all about comparison. And this is a very dangerous place to be. Maybe you've known somebody like this. Maybe you've been somebody like this who follows in the footsteps of the Pharisees, where you thought, the rules of God, the Bible, it's meant to show me that I'm good and they're bad, or they're good and I'm bad. But the problem with this philosophy is it leads us to an incredibly unhealthy place. Because what do we have to do to be good if the law is about comparison? We have to point out the flaws of someone else and make sure that everyone knows that person is bad so that we are good. And this is where the Pharisees were. Jesus was growing in his popularity. He was teaching and preaching and doing miracles. And everyone thought, this is a good guy. This is a good teacher. This is a good man. And if he was a good man, guess what the Pharisees weren't in comparison? They weren't good. And there was only one place for them to win this comparison battle. They had to make sure that Jesus was no longer good, that his followers were no longer good, and that would elevate them back to good status. And so they watched Jesus. They watched the disciples like a hawk, and then they saw it. On the Sabbath day, these disciples had picked the grain. And per the letter of the law, the black and white letter of the law, they had worked, they had harvested. And so they tracked Jesus down as he's making his way to the synagogue to go to what we would consider church. And he's walking with the goal to get to church and connect with the heavenly father. And they come and they start pestering him. Now, this isn't recorded in scripture, but this is how I see it working out. I believe that Jesus did not stop walking. I believe he had his mission. He's walking, walking, walking. The Pharisees come up and they're like chirping in his ear. Hey, Jesus, your disciples picked the grain. They harvested. We all know we aren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. We aren't supposed to cook on the Sabbath. We aren't supposed to clean on the Sabbath. We aren't supposed to to harvest on the Sabbath. Like, we are not supposed to put forth any physical exertion. And they have sinned. They are bad. And if they are bad, you are their leader. You allow it to happen. Therefore, you are bad. And Jesus, as I believe, without breaking a stride, responds. He takes them back to the Old Testament. A moment recorded where David does something that would have violated the letter of the law. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole story of what happened with David, but I'll just give you kind of the synopsis. If I were to boil it down what Jesus was teaching in this moment, what he was saying is if you want to truly follow the law, you have to understand the purpose of the law. To truly follow the law, you have to understand the purpose of the law. And then he keeps walking to synagogue. And when he gets there, this is what happens. A man was there with a withered hand, and they, the Pharisees, asked him, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Once again, what is the mindset of the Pharisees? The law is for comparison, right? They viewed it like an angry father saying, as long as you live under my roof, you will follow my rules. Not a loving father saying, 
I love you so much. I've given you these rules for your safety, for your benefit. Let me explain why we have the rules that we do so that the kid can understand it. Right, for them, the, the law was meant for comparison, authoritarianism. Right, it was meant for the court of law. And so they even asked this question in this way. Is it legal, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? Now, if you've been here throughout this series or if you've been around New Life long enough, hopefully you can see how cold-hearted and horrible this question is because think about what they're saying. They're saying, Jesus, isn't it better to leave this man with his disease, his disformity, this hardship, than to fix him because of the day that it is? You see how cold-hearted that is? Now, of course, they have another thought here, right? They're caught in this comparison trap. And they have a feel of where Jesus might go with this. They have a feel that Jesus might say, yeah, we better heal him, right? Let's take care of this man. Let's love this man. That was his Achilles heel, if that's an Achilles heel, to love somebody. That's where Jesus was, and they knew that. But they also knew by the letter of the law, if Jesus said, yes, let's heal this man, that he would have broken the law. And once again, what would happen? Jesus would be bad, and therefore they would be good. So this is what Jesus does. He said to them, suppose one of you has only one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? Now, remember, and we forget this often, remember, Jesus viewed these Pharisees not as the enemy, but as humans to be loved and to be saved and to be guided, just like you and me. This is how Jesus saw the Pharisees. And so what does he do? He teaches the teachers because he wants them to get this, right? He, he knows that their viewpoint is wrong and is guiding down a very dangerous, unhealthy path. And so he wants to lean them into a better direction. So he uses this analogy. He says, Pharisees, imagine you have a sheep. You only have one, right? You don't have a lot of money. It's kind of like a pet to you. And it's the Sabbath day. And you know by the letter of the law, you weren't supposed to work. You weren't supposed to put forth any physical exertion, but your sheep, it falls into a pit. Maybe it has a broken leg. It's crying, it's upset, the sounds are horrible. What are you gonna do? Now let's bring this into our context in the Sock Valley. Right, maybe you have some cattle. And you have a cow, it's giving birth, but it's not going well, and, and, and the cow is going to die, the mother's gonna die, and the calf is gonna die. But it's Sunday, what do you do? How about you have a dog? You love this dog. It breaks its leg. And it's hobbling around the backyard and you know it's gonna do more and more damage to its leg if it tries to walk on it. But it's Sunday. What do you do? You're at home, you're sitting on the couch and your cat comes up to you, your old cat. It's been very faithful to you but it has arthritis throughout its body. And it wants up on the couch. Do you pick it up? Right, it's Sunday. What do you do? Let's humanize this a little bit. You've got an elderly parent. You've got a friend. They have a heart attack, but it's on Sunday. What do you do? How about this one? You have a toddler in diapers. You know where this is going, right? You've got this toddler. It uses the diapers for the purpose of the diapers, but it's Sunday. What are you going to do? 
Now, some of you wives are thinking, well, I know what my husband would do. He'd wait till Monday. He's done it before. Why wouldn't he do it again? <laughs> what do you do? Now, of course, Jesus is pinning us all into a corner, right? The logical conclusion is, of course, you do something. And this is what he says. How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, for Jesus, he knew the purpose of the law. Not because he was just a very smart guy, not because he had thought through it, because he was the creator of the universe who infused the law into every part of our existence for our benefit. He understood the purpose of each and every law. And at the core of each and every law is love. In fact, if you've ever struggled with a rule in the Bible, trying to figure out how does this work, it doesn't seem great, it just seems controlling Start from the posture of understanding that Christ, that God, is a loving Father giving us loving rules for our benefit. And then look at the rule and find the love in there. But right now we're talking about the Sabbath. Right back to the Sabbath and back to the Pharisees. And what does Jesus say? It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath because he understands the purpose. In fact, later on in his teachings, what does he say about the Sabbath? He says, the Sabbath was not made for God. The Sabbath was made for man. And its purpose is our restoration. That's why we come to church on Sunday. Right? It's a time to rejuvenate ourselves in our relationship with God. We spend time together. It's time to rejuvenate these relationships that we have together as fellow believers. So why we take a break? Because we rejuvenate our bodies because if we keep working and working and working and working, we'll just fall apart. Right? The Sabbath is all about our restoration. That's the focus of it. Jesus knew that was the focus of it. He knew that was the purpose of it. And that's why he does this. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored as sound as the other. So what does Jesus do because he understands the purpose of the law? He does something quite significant. He says to the man, stretch out your arm. Now, if you're familiar with the gospels in Christ's life, you know that he healed people in all sorts of ways. Sometimes he would touch them. Sometimes they would touch him. Sometimes he would just speak to them. Sometimes he would use spit. He used all sorts of ways to heal people. But what does he do with this individual? He says, Stretch out your arm and work physical exertion on the Sabbath. And what is the result? Full restoration. Because the purpose of the law of the Sabbath was restoration. So here are these Pharisees. Three times they try to trap Jesus. And he's lovingly trying to teach them and, get, and give them a new mindset for how this works. He points them to scripture. He uses logic. And now he uses a miracle. And you think of one of those three things that this would work or the, the culmination of these three things that they would have this aha moment. Oh, we've been seeing it wrong the whole time. But here's their response after all of that. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. 
They could not get out of this mindset that the law was meant for comparison of one person to the other. Right? If Jesus is good, then I'm bad. And the only way for me to be good is for us to destroy him, take his followers away, ruin his reputation, or in the end, pin him to a cross. So back to high school. I was a senior at this point in time. My curfew was still 10 o'clock. The rule had never changed despite all my arguing and debating and my best uh, lawyerly, you know, adventures with my parents. It never quite worked. And I always listened. I always listened to my parents. I never broke curfew except for one time. It involved a girl. But not what you're thinking. I was talking online with one of my friends. If you're about my age, you probably remember this. We used to chat online, right? You'd wait till your friends were online. You'd message them on MSN Messenger or ICQ. If you're younger, you're thinking, why didn't you text them? Because we didn't have texting. If you're older, you probably maybe were a part of this, but you remember your kids doing this and keeping your phone line all locked up because we had to dial in to do this. So I was on one of these messenger apps. So I was talking to one of my friends and she was going through a difficult time. And because of this difficult time, she was having a hard time understanding how, how God worked through these difficulties. She couldn't get how God could love her if, if this bad stuff was happening in her life. And so we were chatting back and forth and chatting back and forth. And finally, I'd come to the realization that this was a conversation that had, had to happen face to face. And it had to happen right now. But there was a problem. It was past my curfew. So I went downstairs. I didn't sneak out because I, I didn't ever do anything like that in my life. I just went downstairs, walked into my parents' room and said, I am about to break curfew. I said, this is why I have a friend who wants to talk about God and I'm going to do it and you can punish me tomorrow. I'll deal with the consequences then. I got in my car. I took off. I had about a two-hour or so conversation came back, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and just waited. And my parents didn't say anything. Next day went by, went back to bed, woke up. I thought, this is the moment, right? They're doing what parents do. They're, they're talking to each other. They're figuring out we're going to get on the same page, and then we'll punish him. Never said anything. Next day came, never said anything. No grounding, nothing. They've never talked to me about this day in my entire life. Now, why could they have such a rigid rule that they enforced like this so with such an authoritarian vigor? Why did all of a sudden they just forget about it and ignore it? Because the purpose of the curfew was to keep me safe and to keep others safe. The purpose of the curfew was never meant to stop me from sharing Jesus with other people. You see, my parents had a purpose for their rules, even though I didn't understand it. And God has a purpose for every one of his rules. His purpose is not to control us, but to allow us to bring life, to bring restoration into the lives of everyone around us.